who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. That it is. That it is. And uh, for those of you who don't know, but I feel like everybody should know at this point. Everyone who's listened up to this point. Yes. Probably knows. Yeah. This is my last episode as an official. I think we should be playing sad violin music behind this. Yeah. It's it's really sad um, as as a co-host, as an official co-host of this podcast and We were trying to decide what we wanted to do. We were trying to decide what would feel appropriate for uh, a final episode. And really just nothing felt right. And I wasn't doing another clip show. That that shit took forever. I'm like, I'm not doing that again. And we just did it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So it's like we didn't want to do a repeat of that. We didn't want to do anything that was too overly emotional although fully expect us to get emotional by the end of this episode and we didn't want to do anything that felt like just another podcast either so what we settled on was doing an episode on where we feel feminism is headed uh what we hope to see what challenges we feel like might be ahead of us so this episode is definitely going to be a bit more conversational in nature overall we will in our opinion based as well yeah Yeah. definitely opinion based and um we will of course like bring up little things we got research to back it up you know we're not just going to be spewing our opinions we're still madigan and keegan but (laughs) i think that this is such a suitable topic because it almost kind of feels like we've been on this crash course the last four and a half years definitely and you know when you're in school and at the end of the semester you know you take your final or whatever and you have this like last classroom discussion what did we learn what did we take out of this class what have we done and it kind of feels like this is the perfect time to be talking about the future of feminism especially because I think that when we started the show you know I think back to 2018 and the feminist movement 
was changing in a big way because of the Me Too movement and Time's Up and a lot of that, which was kind of bringing us to new heights of feminism. It was a little trendy. You know, there was all of it was very popular and talked about and it was a thing. And it's been four and a half years. We've been through a ridiculous presidency. We've been through so much turmoil. So much has changed and our future is so uncertain with so many factors that I think I don't stop to think about the movement I'm in and the state of it or where it's going in the future all that often because there's always so much going yeah, on. Yeah, we're in the thick of it. Yeah. Exactly. But it is interesting to stop and think about it analytically starting from, you know, where are we now, you know, in compared to the last four years and yeah. things like that. And where do we see everything heading? Yeah. You know, I was really thinking about that when I was putting together my notes for this episode. Like, not only have I changed so much and like how much I know about feminism, my knowledge of it um, oh my gosh, yeah, has grown so, so much in the last four and a half years. But also because we have gone through basically like one major event to another, to another, to another over the last four and a half we years. We have not had time to come up for air. <laughs> yeah. And also what feminism looks like to us, to society at large, um, I feel like has changed very, very quickly, maybe more quickly than ever before. Really. Yeah. Like it just, it, it's happened. It wasn't this like s- real slow progression. It, it changed very rapidly. And the views on both sides, I think, both people who are adherents to feminism and want to grow and, and learn in their feminism and people who are opponents to feminism. Yeah. I feel like people have really dug their heels in on one side or the other. Especially with the party lines. It's one of those yes. things that... Uh, some people will will argue that they're a you know Republican feminist, but in this era, <laughs> what it means to be a Republican is very different than you know they, uh, than it was than it yeah, was exactly. Yeah. So I think that like that concept historically is not unheard of, but at this current moment, people are very firmly on their sides for the most part. There's not a lot of people that are super wishy washy about yeah. their politics. Yeah, and we'll so, talk about that a little bit more when we get to. I have that kind of highlighted in my yeah. like what I think we're going to have as far as challenges go. Certainly in yeah. the future. I I do feel like that kind of division that has happened, um, that has always exists, but is more polarizing than ever is going to be a major hurdle for yeah. for feminism to have to overcome to move forward. And in we're getting a, more and more way. laws that are trying to prevent a lot of the things that we're trying to, you know, help progress. And it's it's a lot. But let's talk a little bit about who identifies as a feminist, what people think of feminis- feminism at the moment and things like that. So about six in 10 U.S. women today say Feminist describes them very or somewhat well, which differs substantially by age, education and political party. But I also think that that has probably changed a lot, not even just in the past few years, but probably, I think, a lot throughout the last probably 10 years that more and more people have begun to feel more comfortable labeling themselves as such because it has become kind of trendy in some ways, you know? Well, and I think also just the understanding of what that means has grown so much in the last 10 years or so. My hope is that in the next 20 years, more people will feel confident and comfortable saying that and what feminist means will be more all-encompassing. Exactly. I think that... One of the criticisms of feminism is that it can be very polarizing. And I think that as a movement in 
throughout history, it has been very polarizing and it has been very like white lady centric mm-hmm. and that very, you know, when I talk about feminism being trendy, I really, what comes to mind is like the boss babe stuff. Yes. You yeah, know, like yeah, this girl very boss. like mm-hmm. surface level bullshit. Pop, pop feminism. Yeah. yeah that like really doesn't have any root in change or yeah, <laughs> policy like or anything like that. And like that has its time and place, right? We've talked about that many times throughout the years. I mean, we did a Spice Girls episode where we talked about that. I mean, I think we've touched on Beyonce's feminism in the totally. past. Totally. And do I and love that I can go out and buy a t-shirt that says feminist on it? Yeah. Love it. I love that Beyonce, one of the biggest, you know, artists of our generation is standing in front of a giant feminism sign or feminist sign. Right. Yeah. Like those things, they are culturally important because they push the needle in a direction, but they're not really important in terms of like equity, equality, a policy change like those. Because I think a lot of the people that also were a part of, you know, what I like to just refer to as girl boss feminism. A lot of those people, too, I think are wealthy enough and privileged enough that they don't have to think intersectionally. And they are only focusing on how to be able to help the people immediately around them or the people in their community, people that look like them. You know what I mean? Yeah. To me, it doesn't represent a a true change but at the same time yeah do I love that I have so much feminist shit no, and you know my mugs great. and my it's, whatever it's a tough thing because it's, it is it is one of those things where it's like it's helpful to normalize the term feminist for like girls who maybe hadn't seen it before to have Beyonce have like feminist audio in her hit songs and yeah. things like that and it makes you want to google it figure out what it is you're gonna learn a little something like the fact that it is kind of like in the zeitgeist is important because if you've never heard a word before a lot of people will be like what is that I'm right. interested and be like oh yeah I totally identify yeah. with that and that but makes the, sense but the to train me. can't stop there that's where the criticism Certainly, comes yeah. in is that like if, if you're only using the word feminism to sell t-shirts well, okay, you're actually playing into this capitalistic machine that is really keeping all of us down and well, is yeah, very unfeminist. Like, yeah, know? I was going to say there was, and I talk about this throughout my you know predictions and stuff too, but one of the articles that I read said like capitalism and feminism cannot coexist. It just doesn't make sense. And I totally agree with that. So six in 10 women identify as being feminist. Four in 10 men identify yeah. as being feminist. And it's now it's twice as likely in Democratic men where I'm like, I'm sure it's more than twice as likely for yes, Democratic I, men at the moment. I I don't but, know that I know and you know correct me if I'm wrong but I don't know that I know a single Republican man or a man who identifies himself as Republican who would also identify himself with the <laughs> word feminist never like, he might actually if you were to talk to him he would implode well you know I think that and I think this is true of a lot of conservative people if you were to talk to them about progressive policy without using quote-unquote trigger words like like socialism, feminism, these words, right, that trigger them. Exactly. They might agree with you, but they wouldn't ever, if you were like, okay, everything you just agreed with is socialist or everything you just agreed with is makes you a feminist. Right. They would be like, oh, no, 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 they no. will completely disagree. Yeah. They will change their views and do their mm-hmm. little gymnastic tricks. Um, so while, you know, more and more people are identifying with being feminist, the widespread acceptance of feminism as a concept hasn't translated into political, social or economic equity. Right. So exactly. it's something that people like to talk about and claim for themselves, but it isn't actually helping us see 
drastic change. Like, for example, there are more women in public office today than there were 50 years ago. But at the current rate, gender equality in the highest positions of power won't be reached for roughly another 130 years if we continue at this rate. And we'll talk about why that is. I mean, the way that my notes are kind of structured is to talk about what I hope to see and then then to talk about the hurdles that I see moving forward. But that's a huge one. And there are real reasons for that that have to do with the fact that we are so deeply entrenched in this two-party system yeah that it isn't working it It isn't isn't working for us and it also is such an important counter argument to a lot of people that claim that feminism isn't needed anymore like you got your rights to vote you got your you know whatever I mean especially right now I think that people would have a little bit of a harder time saying that but yeah before you know Roe was overturned especially I think a lot of people were like well why do we need this what's the point this is an outdated old school kind of like yeah yeah and you know so when talking just kind of like moving into sort of talking about the direction that I hope to see feminism go in I feel like people have a very shallow understanding of what feminism is. I feel like unless you are constantly reading about this sort of thing, unless you are constantly keeping yourself educated, like this podcast has been so great for me to keep keep myself educated because I have to read about feminist topics every single week. I have to keep up with the news. Like those things are important things that I hope to take with me for the rest of my life. That I started doing those habits I started doing because of being a host on this podcast. But I feel like unless you are doing that, a lot of people have a very shallow understanding of what feminism is. And they're like, well, I don't understand how you're not equal because a woman can get whatever job she wants to get because a woman uh, isn't allowed to be hit by her husband anymore and she's able to open a bank account now and that's it. And they're just like, okay, so you have it all. What are you complaining about? Without taking into account the intersections at play, you know, socioeconomically, like what are we looking at? Like what are we looking at from a like racial disparity point of view? Like all of those things. Like Yeah, you, which is why just talking women's rights is too broad as well. Like you need to start breaking oh, it down absolutely. into different like sections. Yes. And um, that actually kind of was my last little point in this section. Globally, women have more legal rights than ever before, but they have on average three quarters legal rights of men. So that's another thing. Like you do, we see this progress being made and I feel like you know, hashtag not all men, but I feel like men in particular like to kind of point at that as being like, look at all these great, wonderful things that you've done. Um, you know, we have a female vice president, like all this great stuff, but but you're not looking at the day-to-day female-identifying person and what we yeah. aren't getting yet still, mm-hmm. well, you know? I mean, and also, it's just such a sh- empty argument. I don't want to keep saying shallow, but it is such an empty argument because and I know that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, she has she she wasn't a perfect individual, but I always think about what she said when she said when will the, when they asked her when will there be enough um, women on the Supreme Court? And she said when there are 12. Yep. Right. Because it's one of those things we've taken for granted that forever it has been 12 men. Yeah. Right. Where. If there were 12 women, that would be something that was like extraordinary. I was going to say that would be so weird, but yet it's not weird that we would have 12 men, you know? Exactly. And so for me, when people make that argument of like, well, we've made all of these advancements, so I don't understand what you're complaining about. And it's like women have never, ever held the same power 
as men to this day. Yeah. And if they did, men, and a hashtag not all men, uh, would collectively lose their fucking minds. Like yeah. their heads would explode if, and if the percentage of men to women in positions of power was flipped. Yeah. Oh, they would lose it. They would absolutely lose it. And I think that in a way, by people making that argument, it's it's such a way of diminishing yeah. the circumstances as absolutely. well. It's just such a slap in the face. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's that it always reminds me of the first argument for this kind of man, this particular like subset of man is the same. They would make that argument where they're like, well, if men and women are equal, that means I can hit you, right? Like if they go immediately like to that where they're like, well, then I can hit you. Right. And it's like, why does your brain go there right away? I mean, like, I just thought like violence is just like never OK. Can we just like not hit anybody? Yeah, also, you're not allowed to hit other men. No. Like it, That's assault regardless. Yeah. I mean, know? what does society say? It's OK. Most of the time. Yes, they do. Like society sees, you know, a man hitting another man as being less intense than a man hitting but, a woman. I understand but that. Arguments but in are general, very we shouldn't like, yeah, no one should be hurting anybody. Don't touch people without their permission. Right. The end. <laughs> like, even, even if it's not that, though, it's always a very surface level argument. It's that it's like, well, I should be able to hit you then. Well, yeah. then you should be paying for your own meals then. Well, then blah, 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 blah. And it's like the, you you you're telling me that you don't know what feminism is. Is exactly. what you're saying to me. It's like you don't understand the deeper concepts at play. You have no concept of like intersectionality. You have yeah, no concept. We're, we're fighting for the right to, for, to be equally hit. Like, I <laughs> like, mean, what are you saying? And also you're arguing, you're really arguing for my side when they say things like, well, men have to go and die in wars, so women should have to join the draft. And that sucks too. Do you understand? Go back and listen to the Red Pill episode. We repeat that a million times. The whole time we're yeah. like, y'all need feminism because the thing that you're exactly. complaining about right now is the same thing that we want for you. Right. You understand that being mad at women for taking advantage of the patriarchy and saying like, well, it's the expectation of this patriarchal society that you should pay for our date being mad at women isn't going to help you no. deconstructing the society. We that get said, paid less. You should pay for dinner. Oh, and and there's an argument there as totally. well, right? Like where there's like, well, we get paid less for a long. This was set up because for a long time, women didn't have their own money and literally couldn't. We weren't pay. allowed to have our own like credit cards. We would get little allowances from our husbands or like, from our parents or yeah. whatever. But it's just like whoever yeah, owned us at the time. We couldn't pay for our. We literally couldn't pay for our own dates. So if your biggest issue is that you are expected to pay for a date, first of all, must be nice. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, what you're mad at is the patriarchy. You're Very mad true. at a system that was designed to make you do this thing that you don't want to do. Like, that's not the that's not I the woman's fault. I want to put that on a t-shirt. You're mad at the patriarchy. Yeah, you're not it can mad at so me. so many things. You you're know? not like, mad at me. Yep. You're mad at the patriarchy. So exactly. we're on the same fucking side. Uh-huh. Stop it. Stop S- it. Stop it right now. <laughs> Time out. <laughs> yes. Oh, boy. Okay, so... The direction that I hope to see us move in in the next 20 years, I think we've alluded to already, but it's that I hope that to label oneself a feminist is the standard moving forward. And we we are seeing that become more common. I hope it's the standard and not the exception. And I want those who do label themselves as feminists to 
not have to qualify the term with things like intersectional. I want that to be a, a given, given yeah. right? That when you say feminist, you mean that you are fighting for the equality of all marginalized voices and that when voting, you are considering the impact that proposed policy would have on every single person, right? not just people within your community, not just wealthy, straight, cis white people yeah exactly which i feel like for so long and we've made countless episodes about this the feminist movement was really birthed although it was birthed from the abolition movement it very quickly became a very white it was overcome by the white abolitionists yeah Mm -hmm. yeah white women kind of movement and it stayed in that vein for a very long time and so i want whenever people say that they are a feminist i want the intersectional to just be inferred yeah and i also want them to stand by it not just in social issues on their day-to-day but also in how they vote and advocating for policy change across the board certainly you know what I mean exactly and that kind of was something that I was thinking a lot about was just intersectionality as a whole but I was like what what do I need to do what do we all need to do especially as being like western feminists yeah what can we do to help make this movement more intersectional and include more people and it really got me thinking about um you know there is such a thing as global feminism there's transnational feminism but also the use of technology yeah and that is something that you know lately we've seen used as a tool to fight against people who are speaking out for the things that they Mm -hmm. believe in. We've seen this a couple of times recently, but it's also been such a huge gateway for people who don't normally have the access to tell their story or share their opinions to have that access through technology. And while there are many places where people don't have the same internet access as everyone else does, I would say on a whole we now more than ever have the ability to learn and understand other cultures better. Yeah. Because of the access that we have to other people. It's truly unbelievable. And so I think that for myself and for a lot of other people, I want feminism to get to a place where we are really tackling these world issues and we're we're not looking at each other as being so different. And I think that I used to think about intersectionality a lot within my own, my own country or kind of, you know, like what I'm used to, but I, I want to make a commitment to broaden myself to being more aware of, um, you know, global politics than I already am and be more involved in women's rights in other countries and understanding because it's, it's feminism looks so different in different parts of the world because we're at different stages in our rights, essentially, you know? Yeah. And that is something that even in doing this podcast, I've had to be very aware of because I feel like for us, you know, things have been so bonkers in the United States for so many years that we've been inundated with craziness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That it became just so like it became very hard to, to focus on what was happening in other places. And there were weeks that would go by where we're doing the news episode. And I'm like, I haven't talked about anything going on in another country in like three weeks. And it is important to stay aware 
even though, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard. I understand it's, it's a hard. Lo- and that's the thing. It's a whole wide world. Yeah. It's a lot of information. And it's a lot of different people going through a lot of different and things. And keeping your brain switched on when the world is so exhausting. It makes it harder. It's so hard. I, it is about, I think, deciding to take those moments to educate yourself and not feeling like you have, like you have a responsibility. I think that that's a big thing that I've had to understand within myself is like, I am... I'm it's okay if I like don't look at this thing right away it's not my responsibility to but I'm gonna take that time when I have that time to really sit with it to educate myself to try to understand what's going on um but it's hard to ride the line it's it is difficult because you do need to prioritize your mental health and making sure that you are rested and able to continue the fight because oppression really thrives on you being exhausted, you know? And so it is important to be well-rested in order to continue on. However, it is also important to make sure you are prioritizing being aware of like what's happening, not only where you live, but everywhere else. And it's hard. It's very difficult to find that balance. I don't know that I've ever found that balance yeah. in a in a real uh effective way but it is really important to try yeah certainly so I was doing a little bit of just like side research on transnational intersectionality which was coined by Shelley Grabe to represent a more comprehensive conceptualization of intersectionality and she states transnational intersectionality places importance on the intersections among gender ethnicity sexuality economic exploitation and other social hierarchies in the context of empire building or imperialist policy characterized by historical and emerging global global capitalism. They talk a lot about like um, colonization and how, you know, the effects of that are continuing to oppress people today and things like that and Mm -hmm. how that affects feminism. So that was kind of a fun little side goog for myself today going into, you know, global feminism, um, transnational feminism and intersectionality. Very fascinating. So, yeah. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about climate change. So I want to see a rise in ecofeminism in the next yeah. 10 to 20 years. I want women to continue to um, lead this movement, remain on the front lines of this movement, because women really have been on the front lines of this movement. You know, you've got your Greta Thunbergs, you've got your Jamie uh, Margolins, who are young people specifically. Don't forget about are, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, God. <laughs> the whitest of white men. <laughs> and Al Gore. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. But, you know, women in general, though, like have been more vocal than other groups. And I wondered why that was. I'm not entire, and I'm still not entirely sure. I mean, I feel like we, I, I feel like I might have a hypothesis on that. Yeah. I feel like because women in general are more attuned, and I'm, I'm not saying this, With I'm nature. really trying not to say this as a generalization. But yes, you're right. We're, we're more attuned to the needs of others and we're more attuned to the nurturing. I hate myself for saying it, but like no, no, historically no. it is kind of a thing that way. But I think yeah. exactly. I think that women are just a little bit more conscious of struggle in general in other people. And they're trained to be able to be a little bit more empathetic because they're allowed to be. So I can understand why women, you know, there's always like the mothers against drunk driving. There's these very fierce movements that are started by women. And I think it's because women we're allowed the space to 
one, be concerned about those things. Two, we notice those things probably more often throughout history. Like I'm saying, I'm not trying to generalize, but no, you are, it, look, I, look, I'm trying not to say the wrong just, thing, but let's just do a broad disclaimer. Of hashtag course, not all men, <laughs> not all men. And also like we understand that everyone's experience varies, right? Yeah. But as we've said many times on this podcast, how you are socialized does change the way that you interact with the world. Exactly. And, I do feel and it's like not meant as like an insult, but it is, it's something that I think is just like through sociology were is conditioned. Yeah. We were conditioned in a lot of ways to be um, very attuned to other people's suffering. Also, and to also women, be that mama bear. Yeah. And women have been, have every woman has experienced some level of oppression, right? And like the levels of oppression go deeper with whatever additional isms you have added on, right? So I feel like every woman has had to be at least somewhat attuned to oppression in a way that maybe like a cis white wealthy man hasn't necessarily had as much I think proximity that's a really to. good point too. So there is, there is that as well, right? And so I think that that is a completely valid thing to say. Also, there is this whole, just if you want to get into kind of like a woo-woo thing of just women being very attuned to like nature and uh, we, because women have always kind of represented this Mother more Earth. like holistic kind of uh, representation. But also, and this is a direct quote from a Vox article, quote, women stand to lose the most as we continue to see the impacts of global warming. As communities are displaced, women are the most vulnerable to the implications of mass migrations and home loss. According to one statistic, 80% of those displaced from climate change are women. It is often women farmers in the global south who have fed their families off crops they will no longer be able to produce, seeds they no longer have access to. As climate change-related diseases increase, such as Zika, it is often women who suffer the greatest consequences. So women are also affected globally uh, in a more direct way. Not that men are not affected, obviously. Well, All here, human beings are affected, I right? was going to say, I, we've recognized in the past when it comes to like our health statistics, when it comes to women, men are often believed more than women with certain issues as well. And I think that, or it could be the, the other way around as well, where women could be like, oh, it's more of a female issue and right. things and, like that. And also if women are displaced... Um, even if men and women, this is saying that women are vastly more displaced by climate change than men are, at least up until this point. But even if those were equal, right, and men and women were displaced in the same amounts, women globally have less opportunities to be able to start over, yeah. right, and remake something of themselves. They just have less ability to do that. They generally have less wealth. And then also women are generally the people who end up being saddled with the child care, right? right? So if you do have children and something happens, um, women are more often going to have to figure out what to do with like their kids and family yeah. in that way. And this is not a universal experience, but the statistics do bear it out that women end up on the brunt of climate change. And I don't think that that is why the likes of like Greta Thunberg is advocating for it so yeah, hard. Yeah, I don't think but. that that's like a tie-in, but I think that it's an interesting thing to discuss. It, I, I think that it kind of shows the lack of care 
in a way as well about, you know, how we treat ill women in comparison to ill men and things like that. Right. Well, I mean, I think it or displaced, you know, women and displaced men and things like or that. Or just the way we feel about the likelihood that that could happen. Yeah. Right? Because if the people making the decisions are mostly men and these issues don't affect them as much, they might be less likely to want to do something about it. So I really do hope that we continue down this road, this ecofeminism road that we have started down. I think it's incredibly important and is only going to become more important uh, as our planet keeps dying. Keeps burning. <laughs> My gosh. Yeah, I think that the the cool thing about feminism, and it's something that I explain to a lot of people that aren't familiar with the full spectrum of, you know, beliefs, I guess you could say. But the thing that I really like about it is that we can take on all of these different issues and still have it, have it under the umbrella term of feminism. Because yes. I think that that's a big yeah. misconception that a feminist is only concerned about the rights of a certain type of woman or only concerned about the rights of women where we, uh, you know, as the movement has grown through the waves and things like that have grown into taking on other issues as well being able to realize that the personal is political and so on and so forth huge and I like that because it makes me feel like a more well-rounded person because I don't want to neglect anything that I you know what that matters you know I, I think that feminists have been at the helm of a lot of these issues like uh, feminists have been very much at the helm of the gun reform mm-hmm. um, kind of movement and things like that as well. And I feel like it's because, and I feel this in myself, and I feel like this is probably the same for you as well, that once you become attuned to one segment of oppression, it's like dominoes, yeah. right? Like you are just like, I can't close my eyes to any of this because all of this is suffering and right. it is all intertwined. And and the- I think it takes a certain type of person. Like as I'm hearing you say this, because I think we're both people that go to bed at night and the scenes that play behind our eyes are of like people not having friends and suffering and bad things. And I think that there are some people that are able to be like, well, that's unfortunate and move on with their days. And it's the people like us that will be like, oh my God, we have to do something. We have this like spirit of injustice within us that makes us want to be that way. We're solution based as well. Because there are people that aren't like that. I'm like, how how are you not caring? The way I look at it is I'm like, there there has to be a solution. That's always what I come down to. I do feel like I'm very, I'm I'm a Gryffindor. I feel like I haven't said that on this podcast in a long time. Um, But like, I feel like I'm very justice based. Okay. And I feel like I'm also very solution based. If something is unjust, I feel that. Like, I know that this is not justice. And then my mind immediately goes into, like, well, how do we fix it? Yeah. Like, what can we do to fix it? Like, there has to be a way. Do we need to start organizing? Do we need to start making phone calls? Do we need to start, like, reaching out to people? Like, what do we do to fix this problem, right? My instinct is, like, I'm going to tell everybody about this. And I'm not going to stop talking about it. I will not shut up. That's kind of how my brain works, where it's, like, my mom calls me and I go on a 30-minute rant about something. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it it becomes to overcome It's nice you can have that. Hi, Liz. So this is something that both you and I feel very strongly about and uh, identify as I would really like to see feminism continue to go into more of a democratic socialist stance. Yes. And I think that I what I hope is that that as well will become less of a dirty word and be more understood. I hope so. We've seen a lot of progress. As, as much as I get frustrated about it, I do feel like we have seen a lot of progress in the last 
six years or so uh, in that direction, which is good. You know, I still feel like people feel a certain type of way when they hear the word socialist, but I don't feel like it's the same as it was whenever like I was in high school where like socialism was communism and communism meant like bad (laughs) meant like Soviet Russia. Right. And that was like all that you could equate communism to, which of course we know isn't really the case because it's such a scary word to so many people like they don't even want to really look into it or educate themselves and that's what's frustrating for me and on the flip side of this you know I mentioned earlier um, that in an article I read they mentioned that capitalism and feminism cannot coexist Mm -hmm. and their reasoning for that was that capitalism depends on keeping women in a subordinate and exploited role and that makes a lot of sense it's about our consumerism it's about our jobs and all of those sorts of things I think capitalism thrives on keeping it everybody of a working class in a in a subordinate role certainly yeah Yeah. so what is socialism we've talked about this before but just real quick i'm going to tell you what it is so according to wikipedia (laughs) um socialism advocates for public or direct worker ownership and administration of the means of production and allocation of resources and a society characterized by equal access to resources for everyone with a social equal with a socially equal method of compensation. And again, according to Wikipedia, democratic socialism is a, quote, left-wing political philosophy that supports political democracy in some form of socially owned economy. And I think particularly because we have literally seen our democracy at stake, that this is actually something that's very important because it does focus on the sanctity of our political democracy and choosing our own socially formed help for each other, you know? It's an interesting thing to me that people are so adamantly anti-socialist whenever we do benefit from socialist kind of policy in our day-to-day life like if you use a local library yeah like that is a lot of socialism right a lot there is a lot of things that do tie into socialism that a lot of people just don't understand and I and I don't understand people's like I get where it's like we don't want the government like overlooking us but I've never that's never even really made sense to me in my opinion that isn't the government like big brothering us Right. Well, I mean, I think that there is, uh, of course, I I feel like because I know so much now about what the government is capable of, specifically the FBI. When I tell you listeners, we had so many things on the docket that we never got to. Yeah. But we we did do do my best to get to them. I got to talk about Cointelpro some point. Well, we we did talk about Cointelpro. We talked about it a lot within other topics. When we did the Black Panther episode. But talking about, yes, that specifically, um, the murder of Martin Luther King Jr. by the FBI, like things like that. Where, of course, like there is a healthy fear of the government where it's like, yeah, the government has done some shady shit and been behind some shady shit before. So I understand. But if it's a democracy, it's a people's chosen. Yeah, it should be. Governing. It should be. But then we also have weird things in place like the Electoral College and stuff that that really I feel like I'm like, this feels like not. This doesn't make sense. The last. (laughs) What is it? It's like we haven't had. How many Republican presidents have not won the popular vote? Like so many, many, so many of them. Too many. Which just feels like I don't know. More people didn't want that person, and like we we got them anyway. Yeah. So now we're stuck with shitty Supreme Court justices. Precisely. Yeah, and it all kind of like trickles down in that way. Fuck everything. I understand that. However, 
this is something I, when I listen to Behind the Bastards, they point this out regularly and it's been such an eye opener for me. And so I would love to share the gospel of Robert Evans with you all. But he always talks about how people will talk about the death count of communism, Mm -hmm. talking about like communist China or the Soviet Union. And those things are awful, right? Of course, they're awful. We're not arguing that they're not. However, if you look at the death count under capitalism and like what we've done to incur capital and who we've been willing to sacrifice, and it is often... Um, almost always poor people. It's definitely always working class people, minorities, women. We did a whole episode on the Triangle uh, Shirtwaist Factory and yeah. Radium Girls and all that stuff. We are willing to throw people at the bottom of the pyramid underneath the wheels of capitalism yeah. every fucking time. And so if you are going to argue that like socialism and communism lead to these like massive death tolls, you also have to acknowledge that capitalism has a pretty high death count exactly it it just does and but i don't think people are as conscious enough to look into that right you know what i mean should be unless they're listening to the daily zeitgeist or behind or behind the bastards sorry yes yeah but they should be because it's just like look at what happened in the congo look at what happens anytime there's you know colonialist like overthrow like of of any places there's a huge body count associated with that and it really does put people beneath property and beneath profit which is just it's not we can't move forward nothing about capitalism is empathetic we can't move forward in empathy and compassion while also worshiping at the altar of capitalism we can't do it exactly it's impossible but you know i think that the people that are gung-ho for capitalism a lot of times you know we're talking about the people that were affected the people that aren't affected are cishet white men right you know so they don't and they're, care. And they're comfortable yeah. in their power they're comfortable in everything so they're not going to go out of their way to make a difference keegan is going to be sloshed by the end of this episode i don't care she's gonna be like i love you guys so much <laughs> uh, so madigan is saying that because i'm pouring myself another glass of champagne me this, like top me off just yes, a little i'm gonna bit top here. madigan off do you remember there was one episode that we did where we like poured champagne like right into the microphone we were like I do ASMR (laughs) I do yeah we did it quite we really experimented with ASMR in the beginning I remember the very first episode we did crunch crunchy chips oh my god chipotle chips into the microphone yeah we ate chipotle we tried we I've done my NPR voice so many times we really did experiment with a lot of things thank you all for sticking (laughs) with us through those dark times Uh, we found our footing though. Thanks for hanging out through all the bullshit, you guys. It's a, I mean, this is life with me if you're going to be my friend. So you're just going to have to put up with it. I'm sorry. But we also <laughs> did not know what we were doing. We really didn't. And like, I'm so Which proud of us. Which is my best advice ever. It's like, if you want to do something, just do it just and figure it do out. It you'll figure you'll, it out. You'll figure it out. You'll figure out what, what the people want. Like as you go through, uh, I encourage anybody who wants to start a podcast, maybe not the best time to say it. But I have had two glasses of champagne. So if you want to reach but out I mean, to like, me. Why the fuck not? Like, yeah. I, I think that, you know, and this is a totally off topic, but I think that, you know, especially 
it's so difficult being an independent podcaster when it you're not is. like a celebrity or anything yeah. like that. So I think that and only getting more difficult. There's a misconception I think a lot about like the success rates of podcasts and things like that getting into it because it's like they're so big right now. They're making so much money, but it is it's a hard field to get into. The longer podcasts are around, yes. so but in no way should that be a discouragement because it's the same reason why we want to be actors and we want to be doctors and all these things yeah. that seem yeah. difficult. But and, re- and seriously, like. You know, you can still reach out to the Angry Neighborhood Feminist email address if you want to talk to Madigan or me. Madigan will pass along any messages if you have any questions about anything. Like, I would be happy to help anybody who wants to try and figure this stuff out because it's tricky in the beginning. I mean, I always give people just a few really, like, basic tips. And it's like, get yourself a decent microphone. Don't spend too much. But, like, get yourself... Yeah, a Yeti is all you need. A Yeti is... A blue microphone is fine. All you need. You need a computer... Uh, you know, make sure that your diction is okay, even though mine isn't always perfect and, you know, things like that. And then also just like there's some like little websites and little cheats that we've found mm-hmm. through the years that are just kind of like helpful to us that I will like tell people. But yeah, yeah, we're, just off, do we're it. off topic. I know but... I remember what brought me to that, but uh, because we were talking about it, I was like, just do it. <laughs> we were talking about pouring champagne into the microphone. Yes, yeah, so we and had early no idea what we were of, doing, but we, podcasting. but we did it anyways. Yeah. So why don't we, this feels like a good place to take a break yes. and we will come back and talk about the challenges that we feel like we might be facing in the future of feminism. Sound Certainly. good? I mean, I guess so. <laughs> Do you know how much you have in common with some of your favorite celebrities, leaders, newsmakers? I'm Evelyn, the host of Reppin, where you'll meet notable people you think you know. You'll find out who they really are and what they represent. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Okay, so let's talk about some of the challenges that we feel like we might be facing moving forward. So one, and this is not a, I literally wrote this and I'm like, am I from 1975? I was like, this is not a super sexy topic, (laughs) but funding. Yeah. Because I feel like thus far, the majority of funding to feminist causes has been to organizations that are mostly white and wealthy, or at least are run by people who are white or wealthy. Right. There's some certain organizations like now comes to mind, especially Mm -hmm. because, and I think that they've really, I, I went on their website recently and I think they've really done a lot to make themselves less of what they've historically been known as. But I think especially these, uh, groups that have been around for so long, they were started by white people because they started back in the second wave when it was still very much dominated by white women. And and even now, so often what you will see, and I'm going to speak from somebody who is actively getting a nonprofit off the ground whose initiatives include diversity and and inclusion. Like that is part of, it's a huge part of, of the nonprofit that I am a founder of. I will say this. Diversity and inclusion are hot button topics. Everybody wants to be involved with that because they want to be seen a certain way, especially post-2020 and everything yeah. that happened in the summer of 2020. Yeah. Uh, no one wants to be seen as racist. Right. <laughs> Nobody wants to be seen as racist. Everyone wants to be seen as inclusive and diversity driven. 
And so they will pursue you super hard. They want to be associated with you. They want you in their networking circles, but they don't necessarily want you on the board. They don't necessarily want you in charge of anything. And so a lot of this funding will go to people who say, well, look, see, I'm doing things where I'm I'm attached to these people. I've got black friends, right? You know yeah, I mean? it's such a like nasty term, but it's like very like it's tokenism in a lot of yes, ways, you know? Yes. And look, as somebody who's who's working on a nonprofit, I will take your money. Oh, like one hundred percent. If you want to give me money because just because it makes you feel good or look good, I don't care Play why you're giving that me for money. Your advantage, but yeah. don't expect. But like, know what this is. But you I know, know what, what I mean? it is. I know what it is. The people at the top remain mostly white uh, and upper middle class to wealthy, and those are the organizations who are receiving the vast majority of funding and they are under the big umbrella term of feminist organizations right, right? Uh, the Democratic Party is still a centrist party con- compared to most other countries America's progressive party which is our well no we have a progressive party but let's be honest Democrats and Republicans we have a two-party system yeah exactly so our Democratic Party which is supposed to be the our progressive liberal party, party yeah uh, is very centrist when you compare it to other countries right like it's it's not very progressive at all and I fear that feminism means to I fear that what feminism means to the white feminist in positions of power so like your Nancy Pelosi's and the like will slow us down yeah like, considerably and they have I mean I think a lot about you know Hillary Clinton and the divisiveness yes. of Hillary uh-huh. Clinton as well because I think that a lot of people are willing to step up and be like we're not going to support you for these reasons but at the same time we want to support them because we are hoping that it can be some semblance yeah of we're like give progress. us anybody give yeah. us anybody like for I real. don't like the way that Kamala has handled a lot of things and no. she's been VP but we're like but at least we have a woman like I we, we can have a say color, that, you know, yeah, like, but it really it is very empty. It's like it's emblematic of something, but it's not like any sort of true right. change. Yeah, we need yeah. them to get more aggressive to combat this like constant pull from the extreme right and they're and which not. is so weird because the extreme right like hates pelosi because they think she's so progressive and all this stuff and, and i'm like, like are you what what are you on where are you from like that woman is not like god and we are just over here progressives are over here just like picking up crumbs off don't the floor. associate <laughs> it's awful um and while having like a woman president and access to abortion rights obviously are massively important. I fear that for so many people, my fear with the feminist movement is that that is what feminist means to a lot of quote unquote progressives is that like, okay, well, we'll have accomplished everything we need to accomplish when we have a woman president or as long as we can keep our reproductive rights, then everything will be okay. And it's like, I think those things are important, but they're not like, we there are so many other issues. Well, I think that those big issues are things that draw people to feminism to begin with. And I don't, and it's one of those things that's hard for me to understand because I have to remind myself that not everybody thinks the same way as me sometimes because yeah. I care about some things so strongly. Um, not everybody has the ability to care as much. So when those big things happen, that's when they jump in. But I think that what's important is that for there to be more and more people that do get that itch that we talked about where we, we have this 
unrest feeling for injustice. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I mean, and, and those are the always, people that continue it. Yeah. But if the catalyst to you finding feminism is the fact that Roe was overturned and that then yeah. makes you see everything else that needs to then be great. fixed, then great. But if you're coming in and just kind of like, that's where we stop. Or once, once this one thing is fixed, we're good. It's a very like narrow minded way of viewing so many things in our society because you know I think you know I didn't mention this as well but I think that the more we are discussing you know I did mention intersectionality in general but the more we discuss racial issues and the more we discuss gender the more we discuss sexuality all of those things will continue to broaden and hopefully have people find a place within the movement instead of feeling like they just have to like pop in and out at moments yeah I mean Oh, gosh, that idea is so foreign to me because I feel like once I'm I'm in it, I'm in it. Like, that's the thing that I would give to people or I would say is like, if you are ready to start like learning about feminism and intersectionality and inequality, be ready for this to be a lifelong journey for you because it, it is like, it should I mean, never stop. It it's been so co-opted, stop. but it's like taking the red pill. You know what I mean? It's like my mind has been opened and I can't see. And it shouldn't stop is the thing is because like, even if you were to which will never happen because we live in a society that is like constantly pushing the other way but it's like if you were ever able to solve one big problem there's another problem like there's another problem that needs to be solved and so it's not you can't make your focus or you shouldn't be able to like your compassion and empathy and like your brain should yeah. not be able to stop the buck at well biological cis women have rights so we can stop now like you, your brain shouldn't be able to allow you to do that like yeah. you should you should have to say like okay but we still don't have rights for for transgender people well we still have Police no, brutality. P- police brutality. We, we still need to fight for indigenous rights. Like there are so many things, so many inequalities that are will still be going on. That Which is just, why it's important for us to also rest up to be able to do those things. And I was just thinking about this as you said it, but um, I started reading Gloria Steinem's book On the Road a while ago. I think it's called On the Road. Something like that. Um, but she's she talks a lot about how to sustain herself through all these years of being active in this movement. And it's really like educational about how she's learned to pace herself because she is a person that wants to tackle so many issues at once. Yeah. How she's been able to like feed herself through the movement to continue on is yeah. really it's really really beautiful so if you're interested in reading she's got a bunch of memoirs but that's one thing about her that I really like is that because she's been in this for so long her knowledge on how to maintain a movement is really really valuable yeah, yeah. the nap ministry I think that they have a Instagram I used to follow them on Instagram well I still do but you know you don't account. have an Instagram at yeah. the moment. Um, yeah but the Nat Ministry really talks about the power of rest in revolution and yeah. like why, like revolutionary rest. And so I do recommend following them if you are interested in learning more about that because it is important to find that balance. It's important to find things that you can do for yourself. Like when I was jogging regularly, that was something that was really nice for me to just be able to like clear my mind. This is a moment for me to not 
not think about like anything else in the world. I'm a big proponent for uh, like palate cleanser shows. I love a good baking and cooking show. Great British Bake Off is back. Oh God, yes. Have you watched the Junior Bake Off? No, but I'm into it. Please watch it. It's so adorable. They're not as good at cooks, but it's like, it's so good. But um, yeah, there's, there's so, and cartoons for me, like um, I love, you know, Bob's Burgers and all the other shows surrounding that. Or meditation, whatever it is to help you find your center. But like the point of it is, is like, my fear for the future of feminism is that we are going to set these benchmarks for ourselves and those things are going to be, well, feminism will be complete when we have a woman president or feminism will be complete whenever we all work as hard as we can to get Roe v. Wade back instated. Right. And those things are are important things that I do want for our future, but I don't want it to be a thing where it's like, once we've accomplished this, then we're, we can wash our hands of this and we're done. And yeah, it, you know, I just well, don't I, want that. I, w- I think that that might be why we have waves of feminism as well, you know, because I think that there are those people that consistently, you know, continue to educate themselves and care about a lot of those causes. But, you know, there are these peaks throughout time where feminism is kind of like at its height and things like that. And I think that the reason also that there's these different kind of like characteristics of each wave is because our reasons for needing feminism have continued to change. And that's something that's going to continue. And and that's what I'm saying is like, that's the reason that we have these waves is because there is always something kind of like new that comes up that we as a society and as a movement have decided to undertake. People are so much more complex than I think we ever realized. And I think that as the years go by, we are realizing more and more how complex people are like, and that's where all this stuff is coming from in terms of like gender identity and expression and things like that, where once we get kind of like the big basic needs out of the way, right? Where not to say that they're out of the way for everyone because socioeconomic problems are massive and people's and inability from place to place, different place yeah. to place and people's ability to have food and shelter and those basic necessities taken care of, you know, it's not the same from person to person. However, I think when you get those big things taken care of largely like shelter, food, you know, basic human rights. Once we get those basic needs done, you can start to focus on these other things. You know, like your gender expression and or identity. You can start getting more granular about like who you are, and those things. And that's are why going it continues. To, yeah, they're gonna they're going to um, make you need. Uh, it's going to it's going to evolve. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's going to evolve into other things and I Wasn't think that it's like a way of saying that. But yeah, yeah, and I think that there's always something where it's like once we achieve something, there's layers to it yes. that are maybe not being attended to. So yeah. even if the big problem is taken care of, well let's look at everything underneath it that got us to that problem and let's see how we can fix that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really important and it's something that I am so grateful for. With this podcast, uh, it's so important to find community. Mm. You need to find people who are like-minded, who can keep you motivated and keep you going. And to also help you feel validated. Validated and also to validate, because of the name of our podcast, I feel like we must bring it up, validated in your anger. Yeah. It's okay. Anger is a natural human emotion. It's not a bad emotion. It's... it. It's motivated by something. If you're angry, you're motivated by something. And that that anger can often be righteous anger. And I feel like that's kind of what 
helped us to start this podcast was yeah, just well, like, it was because we had so much anger and not a positive outlet for us to put it in. And for I think for me, a lot of this podcast has been about control and feeling like I'm on top of my education. And especially in a time when, you know, when we started this, Donald Trump was still a fairly new president and things were so uncertain. Yeah. It was definitely a good sense of control for me to be able to feel like by educating myself, I'm arming myself. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel the same way. And we wanted people to like have a, a safe space to be angry and turn those like potentially negative, you know, things that surround anger into something positive and it's a change in action. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, for me, I feel like the only other thing that I really fear and we've already touched on it so much in the future is this kind of two party system and this division that we are experiencing right now as a country. Not that we've never been this divided before, but we are very divided. Um, People are very more than we have been in a very long time. Yeah. People are very much in their camps about things. And, um, I fear that our current two-party system is not doing enough to keep us from moving further and further right. Yeah. Uh, Because the people on the right are very, like, adamant on pulling us further right. And the people on the left are kind of like, "Ah." We're a little more docile. I wish that we, not that I want to be, like, the right in any way, but I gotta say they are willing to break the rules. They're willing to shake things up not in ways that I appreciate or that I condone right but I think that in a lot of ways like we need to kind of grow a backbone a little bit with oh some, with we some shit and definitely like, do fight back like it's just I feel like a lot of the reason why a lot of people look down on you know Democrats in general feminists left-wingers whatever you want to call us is that it's like oh you're just so, like what are you gonna do you're weak you're weak yeah what? yeah we are this like because Republicans don't give a flying fuck about anything no No, yeah being conservative is their religion and is their personality it is and the thing that is so frightening about it that we've discussed so much on this show is that it truly it's become a cult it's brainwashing it's it's taking advantage of vulnerable people in vulnerable places in their lives and it is completely it's changing individuals lives families lives yes it's it's so scary it, it's very that scary. it's it's it, almost impossible for me to see how at the state of things growing further and further apart constantly how we would find a way to come together and I don't want to come together and that's another thing that right. I feel like is is a, is a downside in I, a lot I don't of ways. think it's about coming together because while I feel like the right will never back down I feel like the left is constantly making concessions and constantly backing down and yeah. constantly doing things to try and reach across the aisle but you can't make everyone happy and when one side is literally trying to take choice and rights away from others you need to step in you have to develop a backbone I mean but then it's like how are we going to get the people like people are not voting for those types of people and that's what's frustrating we're, we're voting for Bidens well the problem you know? is the problem is it's not that people wouldn't vote for them. It's that we have a two-party system that won't put those people forward. Because we have a two-party system like who actively tried to keep Bernie from from running, right? Right. Because Democrats decided that it wouldn't work yeah. without trying to, to see if it would work. I mean, yeah, I remember talking a lot, you know, during the second election 
or whatever second election that Trump was in about how like what would happen if Bernie were to go up against him right Trump I mean did seem a little scared of him at times there was a lot of talk about that and I feel like that's the issue is that the right is very united in in a lot of ways there's we, there's been some cracks showing between like moderate Republicans and Trumpers now but overall they're largely united whereas the left is not so united because the mainstream Democrats are so moderate and so many other people want to pull us in a far more progressive way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for example, the Equal Rights Amendment was introduced nearly 100 years ago, literally Mm. 100 years next year, and has yet to pass and be added as an amendment to the cost to the constitution. And even then the language of the ERA is outdated and not nearly as inclusive as we are currently. So here's the language quote, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex, which we've moved so far beyond that in a hundred years where it doesn't include any mention of like gender identity or sexual orientation. And in most, and, And in fact, most of our current legislation about women's rights should be updated to be more inclusive in that way. But we won't, the Democratic Party won't do it. (laughs) Like, you know, it's just, it just, it won't do it. They don't represent the most progressive among us. No, definitely not. And I think that a lot of that is about getting along. That was something that we really were frustrated with with Biden during his, you know, inauguration speech was about reaching across the aisle and making friends and making nice and that's something that we were really discouraged by because that's not how they play the game. If to be nice and to reach over to the other side would be to deny the rights of people. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? It's not equal, but still um I remain really hopeful about the future of feminism in this country and worldwide. I read I was reading some articles in preparation for this episode And I read one, I think it was a Vox article, and this woman, Carmen Rojas, who's the founder of Workers Lab and soon to be a CEO, and probably is now a CEO of Marguerite Casey Foundation, which provides grants to low-income families, she summed it up very well in my opinion. She said, quote, The feminism of our future will hold the whole of me. In the future, we will take for granted that I am a feminist, Latina, queer, and progressive. The feminist movement will be tethered to the Black, Latinx, Asian, and Native experiences. It will be informed by a politics of liberation, of sovereignty, of belonging, and of movement building. It will be a feminism of organizers and intellectuals, a feminism of artists and innovators, and a feminism of presidents and political leaders. The good thing is that today, in my community, this doesn't feel impossible or far off. Oh, God, that sounds like my Nirvana. She's seeming very positive about all of this. But, but you know what? I think it is true. It's like it. all of these things can be very discouraging. But the truth is that the heart of it, the grassroots of it, the us of it, right? Like us and our community and the people that we know on the ground who want this to work are pushing for it to work. Yeah, I don't think it's ever fully going to go away because it hasn't in times that I feel like it definitely should have and could have. And I think that while people will come and go from this movement, some people will come and go. I think that as a whole, more and more people are, you know, what we started out with this episode with, you know, they're becoming more and more comfortable with 
um, identifying themselves as feminists and learning about what that means. And I think that that can only go further in the future, especially with the technology that we have. So while I feel there are a lot of things to worry about, I do also think that we're not going anywhere. The people that we're truly not going care. Anywhere. No, people no. that truly care and the people that have made this their life's mission are not going to go anywhere and will always be there when people need it. Yeah. Yeah. We are here. We are fighting the good fight. We will be for ever. Yeah. You know, I think so. I'm here. I'm queer. Let's do this. <laughs> All right. Well, do you have anything else that you wanted to touch on about the lovely future of feminism or do you want to make me cry? Um, I think it's about that time. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I wrote a whole thing and then I put it away. I deleted all of it because I don't want to say anything on this podcast that feels contrived or unnatural or too planned out because I just want to speak from the heart and how I feel. And I, I already said some things in the mini episode, but still stands here. I am so proud of what we were able to create with this show. I'm very excited about the future of this show. I know that Madigan has such incredible plans um, moving forward for this show. It's hard for me to talk about how much this show is meant to me and how much I've grown as a person doing this. It's hard to imagine my life moving forward without doing this every week. And I thank you all so much for being so patient with my growth throughout the last four and a half years and uh, for always reaching out in such a positive way. I don't know that I've ever experienced that where despite, you know, the trolls on the internet and, and other things like that, the vast majority of people who reached out and um, people who wanted to support us were so kind and encouraging. And I appreciate that so, so much. And change is hard and moving on in my journey as a, as a person, uh, is really difficult. And so I do want everyone to know everybody who has supported us from the very, very beginning that this decision is so much harder than, you know, it wasn't something that I made easily. And I wish I had a million hours in the day to be able to to keep up um, to keep up with it. But I know that for the for the betterment of the show, I need to pass this off to the very capable hands of my wonderful co-host Madigan, who has been such an incredible support system and a really good friend. Uh, and I'm very grateful not only to the show, but also because I was able to get even closer to you, Madigan, yeah. as my friend. And um, I love you guys yeah. so much. Well, I I just wanted to say one one thing shortly because you you touched on something that I think has been hardest for me. And that is, you know, we've gone through so much 
time where we've been friends and I think that our we've gone through different phases in our friendship and I think that especially as we've gotten older it's harder and harder to make plans with people and see people and keep them in your lives and I just want to god I'm a mess I just want to say thank you for being the person for me where every Thursday night I could vent my problems or talk about anything like seeing you every single week and knowing that I have that plan has been like actually life-saving at moments I mean times during the pandemic where I was like I don't want to do this everything seems pointless I was so deeply depressed but when I would get off recording I was like I feel better and I feel fine because I've felt heard and accepted and very loved by someone that I care about a lot. And um, that's one thing that I've made hopefully very clear throughout, you know, this process of saying goodbye to everybody else is that, you know, a, a friendship like the one that we have doesn't doesn't change because of our circumstances. No. But I'm so thankful that I've had this routine and this life with you for the past four and a half years because it's it's solidified you more and more into my life than I think you already were before so I love you you are one of the best friends I've ever had in my life I shouldn't say were because you still are always will be but um I have a love for you that I don't have for everybody so thank you for always making me feel seen heard understood for forgiving me when I fuck up for understanding my shortcomings and for just always being somebody that I know through anything that I could call upon and rely on so thank Thank you. you thank you as well I mean I feel exactly the same way I feel like our friendship is very special and I feel like that special connection that we have in our friendship is something that I hope the listeners have been able to feel Yeah, for the last four and a half years. Uh, and, you know, we're going to set up a, at least a monthly coffee date. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> because I can't I go mean, fuck from it. Even a FaceTime with coffee yeah. in our own homes yes. when we're too busy, I, I like that'll be fine. But can't go yeah, from seeing you every week to that's been, not seeing that's you. That's been the hardest thing it for has me, been honestly. For me yeah, too, it's, it's, it's been hard. All of this has been very difficult. I mean, even the things that like, there were weeks when I was like, I don't want to do any more research. Of course. I don't want to read like, anything else. Even the else. things we love can be stressful and can be hard. Like, but I, know. when I was doing my prep for these episodes for this week, I, I thought like, I think I might miss this. <laughs> it's the it's the rose colored glasses situation. It's the last day of the yeah. job you hated, even yeah. though you didn't hate this job. Yeah, you I know, did, but I didn't yeah, hate it, but it was hard at times. It them. is, yeah. So I I do I just I want everybody to know that I love I loved this process. I love this podcast so much. It's it. I'm still a little in denial. <laughs> oh, I've been I've been forcefully in denial because if I wasn't in denial, we wouldn't have gotten through these episodes. I had to tell myself it's another Thursday all oh, day. So, God. well, all right. 
I again, I don't I don't really feel like giving the spiel. If you want a review, you know where to go. You know, the groups, the Instagrams, the emails, all of that kind of stuff. But I just wanted to say before we, you know, close out this episode that, you know, this is going to obviously be a bit of a transitional phase for me going forward with things like that. And I wanted to make note that I now more than ever would really love your feedback with any upcoming episodes that I have so that I can best give you what you want in the future. You know, right now I I don't have a current co-host that is going to be coming on. So things will be a little bit different than usual. And um, I appreciate all of your love and support, and I will really appreciate your feedback. As always, please call me in. Don't call me out. You've always been lovely about that. Um, but I, I want to continue to do things that will help make your weeks a little bit easier or help be a comfort to you. So thank you so much for everybody who has been on this journey with Keegan and I. Thank you so much to everybody who is planning on continuing to listen, even though it's just little old me. I guess that's all we have for you today. I know, baby. Are you going to be able to say it? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's all we have for you today. Oh, my God, I can't. With all that being said, we encourage you <laughs> to rage on. Bye. In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging, to mental health, to courage, and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real, it's intimate, and it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down. No filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you. Reppin ensures that every voice is heard. Every story is valued. So be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts.